So welcome into the Backroads Podcast. Week three is behind us. And every year you have that week that you kind of go, hmm, that was a little bit interesting. And we definitely saw that across the great state of Texas. And we've got a full wrap up of that along with an interview with the Lorraine Bulldog head coach, Jake Popham. But uh, let's get started in this thing. I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassSports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Glad to have you with us today. Well, Bobby, I'm ready to get into this thing as far as week three. And, uh, you know, you were at one heck of a ball game, one that you told me was uh, one of the best that you've seen in a really long time. We saw a massive upset in Division Two. So much going on. But uh, as we do every week on the Backroads podcast, we've got an interview with a coach. And this is a team to me, the Lorraine Bulldogs, that maybe not a lot of people have heard about. They're ranked top 10 in Division Two. I've seen them on film. It's a talented ball club, and uh, so we want to welcome in uh, the Lorraine head coach, Jake Popham. So next up here on the Backroads podcast, we've got the head coach for a team that I think might be surprising some people, although I heard rumblings they were going to be really, really good this year, and that is head coach Jake Popham of the Lorraine Bulldogs. Coach, welcome in this afternoon. Thank you for having me. Good to see you guys. So Lorraine, I don't know that it's necessarily known as a, a six-man powerhouse throughout uh, the state of Texas, but you guys now 3-0 and on the season. You came into this week ranked number seven uh, in Division Two. Talk about your Bulldogs and kind of what it's taken for you to get them to this point. Well, uh, you know, it, it's taken us a little longer than I think I would have wanted. Like I, like I was telling you earlier, I was, I've been here five years now. But, you know, mostly what it's taken for us is just, you know, time for, for our kids to mature. We've got 12 kids on the varsity and 10 of them are upperclassmen. And so most of those have been starting since they were freshmen. So, you know, like I said, it just took time for us to mature and get kind of get our kids where we needed them to be. And, you know, now we're finally hitting our stride. You know, that, that's a good point that you bring up. And I think we see this a lot, especially in the six-man ranks. Teams that are really good obviously tend to have a lot of good upperclassmen. But oftentimes those programs definitely took their lumps and their bruises as those kids were freshmen and sophomore. How difficult is it to get through that transition from raising them as, as young kids on the field to now what you've got there? Well, I mean, I think the biggest part of it, you're just going to take your lumps and it's all about how you prepare your kids, you know. And there, there's only really two ways to do it, in my opinion. You know, you can either play, you know, a, a schedule that's more, I don't want to say weaker, but, you know, with a little bit less competition in it so that those kids get a chance to build some confidence or you can go completely the other way, which I think is kind of more what we did is you you play a bunch of guys that are a little bit over your head, so to speak, talent-wise and, like you said, you take your lumps a little bit, but then, you know, once those guys become upperclassmen, you're, you're kind of race ready because they've, they've been at that level of competition for several years. You know, when, when I look at your team and I've seen you guys play in a scrimmage, uh, one of the players that stood out to me is a guy who had a really good game this last week, Davian Walfel, uh, 105 yards rushing, two touchdowns, 11 and a half tackles. Talk about him as well as some of the players that are really making a difference for the Bulldogs this year. Well, he is definitely our leader. He's a senior this year. Um, he's really been our leader for the last three years, you know, more or less. Um, he's kind of the backbone of our team. He, he leads us defensively and offensively. Um, up until this year, he's been our our starting quarterback and, and our starting defensive end. Um, now he starts on defense, and he is a – I don't want to say he's a key role player, I guess is the way I'm going to say that. He, he moves all around for us. He is a utility guy for sure. We play him on the line. We play him in the backfield. We play him at quarterback some. I mean, we just move him around to try to, you know, to manipulate matchups and things like that. So he is definitely a leader of our team. But, you know, like I said, we've got 
five, four seniors on the team and yeah, six juniors now, I guess. And then two sophomores. Um, so, I mean, all those guys, those upperclassmen, they're all leaders in their own right. Some of them lead by example, some of them lead, you know, on the field, some of them lead verbally, you know, and we just, we have a good group of kids right now. AJ Williams is probably, you know, offensively speaking, probably our, our biggest offensive threat. We can put him just about anywhere and, and you know, get a good matchup athletically. Um, we've got, you know, our other three seniors that are playing on the, or other three seniors are playing on the offensive line mostly. Um, you know, just some big, strong, you know, fairly athletic kids that give us kind of, we can create some situational nightmares for some teams. When you look throughout your region and region four there in division two, you guys look to be as, as big a favorites as anybody outside of the Richland Springs Cowboys. As you look at that, how, how do you work with your team and make sure that they just keep this one game at a time and then once you get to district and not be looking too far ahead? Well, the, the great thing about our schedule is I don't have to do a whole lot of that. Our schedule is going to do that for itself. Um, you know, obviously started out the season with Highland and, and Kroll. And, you know, maybe not maybe not the highest ranked teams in the whole world, but very, very competitive teams. I mean, and they're, they're well coached and they work hard. And, you know, both of them gave us some fits early in both ball games. I mean, and it took us a while to adjust in both of those. And then this past week playing Klondike and, again, a top 10 ranked team and very, very athletic, very competitive. You know, Coach DeGraff and Reed's got those guys going, doing the right things and has pretty much since he's been there as far as I know. You know, so very competitive. We got Ira this week and everybody knows how, you know, Toby Goodwin runs his show over there. They're going to be just consistently good and they have been, I don't know if he's ever had a bad team over there that I can remember. Um, you know, they've had some that are better than others, obviously, but I mean, they're always competitive. And then we'll go play Sands, which is kind of, they're up and coming. I think they got a bunch of young kids, but you know, coach Keith is going to get them ready to go. And then we'll go to Benjamin or Benjamin will come to us, I should say. And so, you know, everybody knows about them now. So, I, you know, I don't think I have to speak <laughs> on that a whole lot. You know, our, our kids have already been talking about that all summer long. So, you know, like I said, I don't have to do a whole lot of that. We, we know what's what's coming and our kids know what's expected. And I think our kids have set a high expectations for themselves. So that that part for me this year hasn't been super difficult yet. I love asking coaches this because, you know, we were talking about six man and 11 man and how it impacts the referee shortage. And it seems like six man kind of always gets the, the short end of the straw there. So my question to you is, where did your love for six man football come from? I grew up in Strong, Texas, so I, I think that's pretty much self-explanatory. You know, it was there. There used to be a saying about you know Strong. I can't remember what it is now, but you know Strong kids and football and Strong kids and baseball, and that was just kind of what we did. And that was always what you know that was all we knew, and so that's just kind of where it started for me. And I, you know, I actually played in played college football at McMurray and at West Texas A and M, and it was fun and I, I enjoyed it, but it was not the same. And so once I once I graduated, this is kind of what I wanted to come back to. Coach, who did you play under at Strawn? Uh, coach Perham was the head coach. The I think yeah, from the time I was in eighth grade all the way till I graduated, went we went through a few assistant coaches. Coach Perham was the head coach. Then you had Coach Reed and Coach Parton, who is the superintendent at Monday now. Coach Wright was there when I was I think uh, you know my soft uh, well eighth grade year and freshman year. So I mean you know some pretty good, some pretty good, pretty well known coaches, obviously. Oh, yes. All well known. Yes. So you've been there for five years there at Lorraine. Um, how important is it to build the program you're building, uh, starting with your junior high and your JV? 
Well, you know, this is the first year since I've been here. We've had a JV. So speaking on that, um, it's been a we feel like right now it's a huge advantage for us. You know, we have now have our uh, freshmen and sophomores, most of them, not all of them. Uh, you know, they're getting to play every week, significant amount of time. So, I mean, that, I, I feel like that has to be a huge advantage because whereas before when we're in these competitive ball games, you know, some of those kids just aren't ready for that level of competition. So they don't get to get in there a whole lot. But if you're playing a JV schedule, they get to play, you know, maybe, maybe if they only even get to play one side of the ball, get they get to play every down on one side of the ball most of the time. So, I mean, it's a huge advantage for us. And then in junior high, you know, because of the schedule we schedule in high school, they get to have, you know, they have to learn and adapt to that, you know, in junior high, because most teams, you know, that have a good high school team, have a good, decent JV, have a good, you know, or decent junior high. And so that's just kind of part of the, the road we're hoeing right now. I mean, you know, and for our junior high right now, our junior high has struggled the last two years because we haven't been, numbers wise, we haven't been as blessed and, and our, our kids are not as, uh, developed because we've been playing a lot of sixth graders so we've been taking our lumps some but you know the good thing is they're going to get to take advantage of that as they grow too so I mean I, I think it's a huge advantage yeah those sixth graders will step up before you know it they'll be sophomores and ready for the big time well I think right now we're starting I, w- I know we're starting two of them maybe starting three I'd have to go I'd have to actually go back and like think on that for a minute but we're starting at least two sixth graders on junior high right now that's incredible yeah, I mean, it's going to be a big opportunity for those guys moving forward. They'll get it. Basically, if they continue to start all year long, they'll have an entire extra year of football that most kids don't get. So, Coach, how long have you been coaching six-man? All of my career, and I think this is year 14 or 15. I Honestly, I'd have to actually think about that for a minute. But I think it's 15, but it might be 14. It goes by pretty quickly, doesn't it? You know, to be honest, when I started doing this, I, I was meeting coaches that are probably my age now, and they were telling me, you know, 14 or 15 years, and I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to live that long, let alone <laughs> coach that long. <laughs> and, you know, now now here I am thinking the same thing. Like, you know, it hadn't been all that long. Yeah, it's one of those things where it feels like yesterday, but also it feels like 15, 20 years ago. Oh, I can still remember my first, you know, if I go back and think about it, I can still remember my first games and stuff, you know, the first season and all that. (laughs) Everything I thought I knew that I found out I didn't know much about. Let me ask you this, Coach. You know, um, here at Texas 1A Fan, we try to cover 150-something, you know, six-man teams. Who usually covers y'all? Because I know you're kind of in a a weird location geographically because you're – sort of near Midland and you're sort of near Abilene and you're kind of sort of near Lubbock. So um, how many people um, come out and cover y'all on a. That's kind of, we were actually talking about that last week. It's funny. Um, We get some coverage, you know, newspaper and some radio sometimes um, from Colorado city, you know, obviously the, the Colorado city radio station is literally called wolf country. So they cover Colorado City more than they do us. But when they're available to us in Westbrook, they cover. We've had some coverage from uh, from Abilene, some from San Angelo. We get, you know, depending on where we're playing, some out of Lubbock, you know, Pete Christie and those guys and things like It just depends for us. Because like you said, we're kind of in that weird – with just like with officials, we're – as far as news and all that, we're kind of in the same bubble. We're, we're right in between a whole bunch of circles where we're not really in any of them. So – we do get coverage, but we don't – it's not, I guess, consistent, I guess is how I'd have to say that. Well, you know, you I guess you could look at it uh, several different ways because you could be actually covered by three different larger outlets yes. at some point. So I saw y'all 
at the Westbrook scrimmage. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we're looking to get out to see the Lorraine Bulldogs again um, because you know three and zero. I was impressed with you guys in the scrimmage. I thought you held your own very well. I mean, you were up against, you know, Borden County, Westbrook, some really good teams. Uh, I really want to watch y'all play an actual game. Awesome. We'd love to have you. Um, A good one might be that, well, you know, our uh, our homecoming game is against Benjamin, actually. Not on purpose as our homecoming game against (laughs) Benjamin. That's just how it worked out. But uh, Well, who knew when you scheduled it, right? Hey, you know, that was kind of a – I, I tell everybody this has been a really, you know, we were talking about officials. It was just a really weird year. We went and made the schedule at realignment. We thought we had it all penciled down. And then as dominoes start to fall after realignment, your schedule can either be fine or it can absolutely fall apart. And this time ours absolutely fell apart. We were actually talking, I was telling the coaches this when they all interviewed. I think there's only one team on our pre-district schedule that was on there originally, uh, or two actually, Highland and Highland and Ira. And those were the only two we had on there the day realignment came out. And then basically had to reschedule all the rest of them because of this or that, you know. And it was kind of a nightmare, but that's how, you know, I called Benjamin and I basically, that was when Coach Waters was still there. And I basically begged him to play us, you know. <laughs> we needed a game that I think that's week six. Yeah. We needed a game week six and I couldn't find anybody and they needed a game. And that was a week of our homecoming. I said, hey, <laughs> that's our homecoming. I need to play somebody. <laughs> And then, of course, uh, as things have kind of come down the pot, that's not exactly the game you want for your homecoming. But, you know, it'll be – I think it'll be a good game for us one way or the other. It'll be a good test. Definitely. Let me ask you, is it difficult sometimes or does it ebb and flow as far as doing schedules? Because it just seemed like this last time more coaches than ever that I've talked to really struggled trying to put together a schedule. Well, I mean, there's so many factors in that because we're small schools. But, I mean, it does, like you said, it ebbs and flows. Because, like I said, I've made schedules where we had, you know, you have, with the exception of your district, so your six or seven games on there for your pre-district schedule. And you don't have to, you know, you might have to move a date or something like that, some kind of typo or something. But that's only the thing you have to adjust. And then, you know, then I'll have years like this year where you think, hey, we're set and all these schools are solid. We won't have to move anything. And then there's just – so many factors in that once realignment comes out that everybody's like, hey, we can't play you this day. That's got to be our bye week because of this. Or, hey, we can't – or, you know, you have new administration. Hey, we don't want to travel that far. Or what? I mean, there's a million things. Well, and speaking of that, as far as just the six-man community, and Coach Vance Jones on with us last week, he talked about how – what a tight-knit group the six-man coaches are. I assume you, you see that same thing, and how much easier does it make it to do your job? very you know I mean there's I I know there are some but they're not all that many I would say that I don't have that coach's cell phone number already you know where I can just communicate with them pretty much directly we don't have to go through any you know emails or whatever like I can contact that person directly to their personal cell phone or whatever send them a text message whatever I mean it's it's pretty convenient I don't know that all other schools really have that you know you can't communicate with other coaches all the way on the other side of the state of Texas because you don't know those people like you know but like we do because we're all at at one you know we're all one group of people like all one division basically is there a coach or coaches that uh, you've kind of modeled your coaching career after that'd be difficult for me to pin one down um you know the things obviously I learned from good coaches when I was in high school you know having coach Param and coach Reed and and coach Parton and so on all of those guys are quality coaches and had quality programs. I mean, Coach Param, I think when he retired, 
still was one of the winningest coaches in six-man history. You know, and Coach Reed's, you know, his resume speaks for itself too. I don't – but, you know, so I took the things that I learned from those guys and, you know, just went with it. But I don't think there's one thing. You know, early on in my career, I kind of stuck with what I was most familiar with. But now we're not running anything that I, you know, would call it, say that I'm familiar with from that far back. I mean, you just – you learn as, and you grow. And, you know, the, the lessons I learned are probably just from coaches in general talking to them and you know the number one thing that I think I've learned is just find something that works for your kids whether you like it or not whether you're comfortable with it or not find what works for your kids and then do that and build on that that is a great philosophy uh so many young coaches don't understand that until they become a little more seasoned well it's difficult because you know like for me when uh when I was in high school we were 100 like almost 100 percent you know, a tight team. I mean, we, we had some stuff and shotgun and all those things. We didn't really run it a ton. And then you start coaching yourself and that may not be the group of kids you have. And you have to figure out how you're going to make something you're comfortable with work and then build on it. I mean, the thing for me, every school I've been at so far, we've had to do that. And the biggest problem is, you know, early on trying to figure out what works for your kids, what they're going to be successful with is it's kind of a nightmare sometimes because you might go through, I don't want to see you'll go through 10 different offenses or anything like that, but you'll go through several different schemes and several different variations of stuff before you find one that, you know, they're comfortable with. Well, coach, we, we do really enjoy the uh, conversation we had with you today. Great to visit with you. Best of luck to you, Lorraine Bulldogs moving forward this year. I have no doubt that we'll be seeing you deep in the playoffs and uh, best of luck this season. I appreciate it guys. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank y'all. Well, you know what's really fun about the Backroads podcast, Bobby, is for me, I get to meet coaches just like those who listen to the interviews. You know so many of these coaches, but it's a lot of fun to meet people from across the state and and see how well they're doing. Oh, I know. And even though I know them, I, you know, I, I know them in that I can walk up to them on the field before a game and, you know, talk to them about their team and tell them, you know, I'm glad that I'm there and thanks for the opportunity for having me. But it's really nice to sit down and just have a conversation, not only about their team this year, but, you know, kind of like Coach Popham, you know, where'd you grow up? You know, what coaches did you play under? Um, what's your coaching philosophy and, and things of that nature? I, I find that stuff very interesting. And, you know, it's kind of a human thing and I'm, I'm kind of into human things. So <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Well, we talked about his Lorraine Bulldogs, and they defeated Klondike, number eight in the state. So number seven versus number eight, and a really good game. And uh, Klondike, uh, Lorraine takes that one 60-40. to 40. We talked about Davian Walthall, 102 yards rushing and two touchdowns, 11 and a half tackles. He is a ball player. I can tell you that. He is. He, he actually looks very intimidating. You go out, I mean, you don't even have to go out on the field. You can spot him from a mile away. He's a big dude. And he's fast, and he goes to work silently. And, um, yeah, he's scary. Yeah, he he definitely is. Well, let's stay here in Division Two, and we'll go up. Benjamin, the Mustangs were on bye week this past week. So we'll go to number two, Richland Springs, and they defeat Lamita 68-22. to uh, The new guy in town, Braxton Etheridge, 126 yards rushing, two touchdowns, 8-12 to through the air, 167 yards and four scores as well. And Jaden Sutherland had 63 yards receiving and two touchdowns. For Lamita, Tim Juarez led the way. 26 carries, sounds like a very tough 132 yards and a score on that one. 
Uh, number three, Balmeray. I think they found themselves in a game that they didn't expect to be quite that difficult. This Lubbock Titans homeschool team is pretty solid. Uh, it took uh, the Balmeray Bears quite a bit to put them away, but they finally win this one 97 to 76. Tomas Contreras, we talked to Coach Jones last week in his 35 carries. He decided that one more carry was, was just what Tomas needed. 36 <laughs> carries this week, 399 yards. We wow. should give Jones a hard time for not letting him get a 400. Six touchdowns, also seven of eight through there, 139 yards and five touchdowns. So Tomas, in one way or another, accounted for over 500 yards of total offense and 11 touchdowns. Yeah, and I was getting uh, text updates from that game, and that game was not over until 1045. I was Thursday following along night. With, yeah, I was following along with Coach Jones on, on Twitter, and I was just like, is this game ever going to end? No, no. Um, I think that what happened, from what I understand, is um, Balmeray's special teams had a few issues. um and so i'm pretty sure that coach jones will be working on that this week pretty heavily what do you think Uh, you can probably guarantee and take that one to the bank that that will be the game (laughs) (laughs) let's take a look at number four and this is where the shock i mean just flat out shock across the state went silverton a team that we've not heard a whole lot from in a lot of years. The Owls take out Whitherald, number four in the state, 34 to 30. Whitherald driving at the end to get the go-ahead touchdown, makes it all the way down to the one-yard line. When the buzzer sounds, they can't get another playoff, and Silverton wins this one 34 to 30. I'll tell you a name, and, and, and I know this name, but probably a lot of folks across the state don't. Sawyer Francis for Silverton. This is a good-looking athlete. Six foot three, goes at about 180 pounds. I know Coach Hearn says he runs about a 4'6", 40. 25 carries, 222 yards and four touchdowns. Threw a 31-yard uh, touchdown pass in this one. Nine and a half tackles, nine of those solo, and uh, one of those uh, in the backfield there for Whit Harrell. Uh, so uh, Silverton takes out a good Whitherall team. Shamondrick Weaver had 122 yards rushing and two touchdowns in the loss. Jaron Ellard, 108 yards passing. And our man, Nomar Gomez, the Energizer Bunny, 10 and a half tackles, eight of those solo. But uh, that was a surprising score to me. It, I, th- I think it was, um, from what I understand, because, you know, I, I can't see an upset like that and not ask questions, right? <laughs> <laughs> Neither can you, Craig, admit it. Uh, yeah, so, no. Um, it seems that uh, Silverton stuck with the man defense, and uh, Whit Harrell wasn't quite prepared for that. Um, gotcha. So it's another case of okay, it's good that it happened this early in the season, and so we can adjust, we can work on that, and we can get better for the next week. Um, I. I think that that's the most important thing to say about, you know, there's upsets a lot, but until we get into district, that's really not going to matter. I think it's how well your team rebounds and how well they learn how to adjust to those same types of situations in the future. No, I, I think you're well said there on that one. And so uh, Whit Harrell uh, falls in that one 34 to 30, but I promise you the Panthers uh, don't write them off. That would be a huge mistake. But I will tell you, I thought the Silverton Hours are going to be better this year, and they are definitely proving me correct. Although well, we talked about that. 
I know, but I'll admit I took Whit Harrell in this game, but uh, hey, the house proving people wrong. Take a look at number five, Cherokee, uh, all over Avant, 60 to six. We'll go to uh, number nine, Newcastle. And they found themselves in a 1963 slobber knocker with Azel Christian. And Newcastle <laughs> falls in this one 27 to 26. Man, it's been a long time since I've seen a six-man score quite that low. No. Uh, for Newcastle, Osvaldo Pacheco, 15 carries, 106 yards, and Ty Strawbridge, 11 of 18 through the air, 123 yards and two touchdowns. But uh, number nine falls in that one by one. And then uh, number 10, Sanderson, the Eagles, and Coach Shelton, they take out my good buddy Ty Keith and the Sands Mustangs, 44-28. to 28. So that's three teams in the top 10 in Division Two with losses this week. I'm sure we will see a bit of a shakeup in the rankings. Oh, of course. And we and all know that the rankings are the most important thing, right? I'm not <laughs> even going to go into that this week, and I'm not going to let you drag me in. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. Oh my goodness. Uh, we all know, especially maybe, maybe as much in six man as anywhere. Those rankings are just the Bible of what we do. And, uh, it is, it creates some, a really fun conversation. You're right. They, fun. It should <laughs> stay fun. A lot of people don't keep it fun, but we're going to keep it fun right here on this podcast. Well, speaking of fun, let's go to division one. And, you know, we had two two top 10 teams facing off against each other, two different games, Rankin and Westbrook, May and Knox City. Both games were really good. But now you were at the Westbrook ranking game. And from everything I've heard from you, this thing was incredible. Westbrook wins it, 42 seconds left in the ball game. That man, Cedric Ware, strolls in from six yards out, takes the uh, uh, one-point conversion in, and Coach Matlock and his Wildcats survive over the Rankin Red Devils 59 to 58. It was. It was war. Well, I can't say war. Let's go with battle. An epic battle is what that was. I enjoyed that so much. It was it was incredible. For those of you there, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. We don't see many six-man games that that play out like that all four quarters no one was budging an inch nobody's going anywhere the place is packed we got the harvest moon down here on the east side in the end zone it was just a it was just a surreal thing and I just it was the athletes on that field for both teams they were all incredible they were all incredible the bunger boys <laughs> on defense for the Red Devils. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you, they gave Cedric Ware hell. <laughs> they did. And you know, one six four, one six three. Cedric went about it in his very easygoing way. He just kind of, you know, they got him a few times, but that boy sees the field better than anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. Heads up I, I... play. He's very methodical and he just picks you apart but the ranking defense did very well then the, the offense did very well Barrett Jackson ran for a lot of yards what did he have yeah uh, Barrett Jackson 30 carries 186 yards and four touchdowns and you mentioned the Bunger boys combined they combined for 18 tackles 17 of those solo and two of them tackles for losses 
I yes, David and Blake Bunger. I think I said their names. I don't know how many times that night, um, but it was a beautiful thing to watch because both teams, all those players were playing with so much heart and neither side gave up until that final buzzer rang and it was just an incredible battle. And Craig, I'm here to tell you, those two teams, if they meet again, we, I, I expect the same thing, just another battle. Um, one thing that I did want to say in relation to this game is, you know, there were a few things that the refs may have gotten incorrect, but it went both ways. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, for example, let me just give you a little example. Rankin had to kick off at the very beginning of the game, but they kicked off from the 25-yard line. Oops. Uh-huh. And then there were, let's see, three different times when the penalties was, one was 14 yards, one was 12 yards, and one was nine yards. And, you know, here we are, we're still really relatively in the beginning of the season. And we've talked about the ref shortage and how bad it is. And of course, we're this, you know, lowly six man. So we have to deal with switching games and things of that nature. But you can't blame anything like the loss on the refs, especially in this game. I feel that if you blame it on the refs, then you're really sullying the game itself. And this game was such an incredible game to watch, an incredible game for both teams and the players and anyone involved that, um, you know, I just don't want to see someone saying, well, you know, Westbrook won because the refs were terrible. Well, no, they really weren't. I mean, yeah, there were a few things, but Craig, we're all human. We are, we are. And that that's the part that we got to remember. And, you know, we've talked about a lot on this show is yeah, we, we don't end up with the cream of the cream of the referees, but I can tell you what you can watch five, a and six, a games and go, Hey, the referee missed that call as well. It's going to happen. It's just the way it is. Yes. We don't get the most experienced groups and, and it hurts sometimes, you know, I've seen my own teams hurt because a, a, a referee will miss a call or two. But to just be flat out irate and and say things that you just really shouldn't say, that's not what it calls for. It end of the day, you put that ahead of what really was a fantastic ball game between Westbrook and Rankin, a one point game a, with two teams who most likely, Bobby, there's a good shot they see each other in the area round. Depends on how Rankin does in their district, but you could see these two meeting in the area round. Holy cow, that would be a heck of a ball game. Yeah, and there'll probably be about 1,200 to 1,500 people in attendance at that game because I'm telling you folks, if Westbrook and Rankin play again, you've got to see this game. Well, Excellent and, and, play on both sides of the ball for both teams. And I'm going to throw this out to you, and you, I just want you to think on this one. You don't have to comment right now, but at what point in time do we start talking about some of the great six-man players of all time? And we got to start throwing Cedric Ware's name in there. Oh. Uh, 251 yards rushing, five touchdowns, 69 yards receiving, two more touchdowns. And the part of his game that I think is often overlooked is as good as he is on offense and 12 tackles in this ballgame. He is, he is not a guy that is just going to knock you down on defense. That is not his play. He's just always in the right spot and always making the tackle. Well, one thing that surprised me that I saw 
was, you know, we all know that Barrett Jackson is extremely fast from Rankin. We've seen him run track. He's extremely fast. I watched Cedric Ware run him down. He's got play speed. He does. He has very good play speed. And here's the thing. I have seen where there's been kids who maybe they're not the track star, but somehow they find speed on the football field. So I was talking to one of my friends about that. So is it the shoes, cleats versus spikes? Is it pads versus no pads? Or could it be the adrenaline? Maybe the one kid loves track and that's where his adrenaline kicks in or this other kid loves football and that's where his adrenaline picks up. So I thought that was an interesting question. I don't think we'll ever know, but we've all seen it. Oh, definitely. The competitive nature in some of these kids, you just, you know, if if you went out on the uh, track with them, you would be like, okay, this kid's not real fast. And then you put them on a football field and you're like, okay, he's still not the fastest kid out here. But it is amazing the number of plays he can make and looks so much faster doing it. it oh, we yeah. see it all the time. We see it all the time. And it's that competitive nature in kids. So Westbrook wins a, a thriller 59 to 58. Another really good ball game that went on. Uh, and it was overshadowed, but it really was a good one. Number two May. Yes, number two May taking on number six Knox City. And you know, May got up in this ballgame. Knox City just wouldn't go away. May finally wins at 81 to 58. But, you know, what I thought was impressive is May finally got that lead out there at about 18 or 20 points, but you just never saw the Greyhounds completely go away. May was never able to just salt this one away. Uh, one of my favorite players, Damian Salinas, 167 yards rushing, two touchdowns, 62 yards receiving and a touchdown. Oh, by the way, he had 19 tackles in this ballgame. Uh, in his running mate, Luke McKenzie, 154 yards, rushing five scores. Also had 222 yards through the air and another three touchdowns. And for the Greyhounds, uh, Coach Callaway's son, Bryson, 225 yards and four touchdowns. Caleb Arietta, 134 yards rushing. And Devin Guillory, that's a name we've talked about before, 148 yards receiving. He caught five balls, four of those for pay dirt. So a really good game there. May takes out Knox City, 81 to 58. You know... Everyone thought May would be, we would be down this year. I, and what did we say? He reloads. Still, he doesn't rebuild. No, he reloads. <laughs> wow, I'm having a hard time today. There's, there's a lot going on, obviously, up here in this brain of mine. Again, <laughs> welcome to Bobby's brain. Uh, but, you know, that Knox City May game was back and forth. And Knox City, they did not give up. No. Every time I thought that May was putting it out of reach, here would come Knox City. Although I was at an excellent game, um, I really wished I could have been at that game as well. I'm with you there. Uh, take a look at number three, uh, the Abbott Panthers. They just, they quietly move along and we don't talk about them. And holy cow, they're a really good ball club. <laughs> they take out the Keen Chargers, 56 to nothing. Uh, Riley Sestala, eight carries, 99 yards, three touchdowns. Mason Hale, 90 yards rushing and three touchdowns. The Panthers just keep doing what the Panthers do. Number five, Jonesboro, the Eagles take out Austin St. Stevens, uh, one of the uh, better schools in private, in the private sector. They win that one 52 to 37. Number seven, happy all over Spring Lake Earth, 64 to 14. Trice Johnson, 204 yards rushing in that ball game. Uh, Four touchdowns, also had a scoop and score. 
And uh, two buddies, Camden Spirit, Kite, and Johnson combined for three touchdowns in this one. Johnson finished with 123 yards receiving. Number eight, Erion County takes out Roby 57 and nothing. And we're going to screw up this last name because I'm sure we did it last week and I'm going to do it again. But Trevin Kofel, that's what I'm going to say it is. I think it's Kofel. Kofel. Okay. I'm going to go with Kofel. I'm going to remember this here. Trevin Kofel, 4972 yards uh, through the air, three touchdowns. Also had six tackles. And Jordan Harrison, uh, 62 yards rushing and a touchdown, eight tackles and a fumble recovery. Uh, another matchup of uh, top 10 teams, one in Division Two, one in Division One. Ira and Jayton and the Bulldogs and Coach Goodwin win this one, a 50 to 33. What was a really good game as well. Uh, Ira Brighton Partain, 125 yards rushing, two touchdowns. Also 132 yards passing and a touchdown. Zayton Allen, uh, two carries, 63 yards and a score. And for the Jaybirds, Jace Rivera, 17 carries, 97 yards, and two touchdowns. And some kid named Sean Stanilan, I think Coach Stanilan might know who that is, 13 of 17, 187 yards, and two touchdowns. That was a, that was a really good te- game there. Jaden, you don't look at the record because you just don't want to do that. That's a better team than people are going to realize. They're going to look at the record and get surprised. Well, look and- at their strength of schedule. Exactly. And I was going to say, Ira is one of those teams that just quietly keeps winning this year. They do. You know, everyone expected oh, Coach uh, Goodwin's team to be down, but, uh, you know, it, it's Coach Goodwin. <laughs> I mean, you can't ever, uh, you know, there are some coaches just like Coach Steele at May, Coach Goodwin at Ira. You can't say, oh, they're, they're not, they're not going to be very good this year yeah, because don't, don't, toward the end of the season, they're going to jump up and shock some people. They definitely will. Well, speaking of good coaches, uh, number 10, Garden City and Coach Jones, they defeat Midland Trinity 61 enough. Not many issues there for the Bearcats in this ballgame. They held Midland Trinity to a negative 26 yards total offense. Oh. Preston Dellinger, six carries, 151 yards and two touchdowns. And Logan Seidenberger, 75 yards passing and two touchdowns. So there's a look at the top 10. Uh, both Division One and Division Two. Let's take a look at uh, some uh, uh, games of interest across the state as uh, we got uh, stats on those or just some of the really good games going on. A game that I went to, Miami and Will Dorado. Now, Will Dorado's banged up. They're missing two starters uh, uh, that kind of hurt them, but hey, Miami's quietly good. This Luke Wheeler, 5'11", 190 junior. He's like a bowling ball at defensive end. He had 11 tackles in this ballgame, seven of those in the Mustangs' backfield, seven tackles for losses. They simply could not control him. Hayden Thompson, check out these numbers. Uh, 251 yards passing, five touchdowns, 118 yards rushing, and three more touchdowns. And his running mate, a freshman, Micah Henshaw, 108 yards rushing, 149 yards receiving, and five total touchdowns. Miami wins that one 65-20. to uh, Van Horn all over Dale City, 72 to 12. Cy Garcia in this one, uh, three carries, 35 yards, two touchdowns. Van, Han- Van Horn only had to run 13 total plays in this ball game for the victory. So uh, Van Horn looking impressive there. Uh, White Deer remains undefeated. Coach Rucker and his Bucks take out Amarillo Pachilla, uh, 60 to nothing. They only ran 11 plays, had 297 total yards. Wow. Yeah, Amarillo Pachilla has now been uh, lost all three games, 74 to nothing, 76 to nothing, and 60 to nothing. Not a good start to their six-man <laughs> six career's there. Uh, 
Talk about, uh, uh, you know, taking your lumps. Yes. Taking your lumps and then some. For yes. sure. Uh, Oakwood and Aquila doing battle, and it was Oakwood in this one. The Panthers went at 66-20. to 20. Zach Nickerson, 243 yards rushing on only 14 carries. Seven of those 14 rushes go for touchdowns. So impressive wow. there. Hey, a game that surprised me, Borden County and Claude. Borden County wins this one 65-20, to 20 and you go, okay, so what? They beat them by 45. That game didn't end until the fourth quarter, Bobby. Oh, I know. And in the first half, uh, it looked like the Coyotes were having a, a few issues. So, you know, Claude stepping up and, and getting some stuff done against the Coyotes early. I just don't, I guess, you know, as the game wore on, it just, you know, they have, the Coyotes have a, a way of just beating you senseless as time goes on. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Whiteface with an upset over Valley, 64 to 50. Um, you know, I will tell you with Valley, you know, we obviously know about the Blake Beard uh, injury. I believe they were without at least two more starters in this ballgame. Four. Four. End of the day, I don't I don't care. Six man, 11 man. You start losing enough starters. It's hard to win. It is because, you know, you have those younger kids who are prepared to step up. But uh, just like Coach Popham was saying in our interview, uh, if they haven't been on that stage before, it's going to be um, kind of like a, you know, it's going to get a little bit to, to get it going. Valley is going to be okay. They're, they're going to take a, a few lumps, but, but Whiteface, you remember who, who's coaching there, right? Um, some guy might have a state title to his name, maybe played in, in, in two of those or, or coached in two of those. Yeah. Clint Lindman there. He knows what he's doing. That that is Oh, he's an intense dude. And let me tell you, <laughs> if those kids buy into that, they're going to be intense as well. Here we are week three. It was about time for the, the switch to take place. You know, he's new at Whiteface. The kids weren't used to him. Now they're maybe buying into his program. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Whiteface does in their next few future games. It will. Uh, the gap I'm bringing up this game just cause I want to say it, the gap, no, not the store you shop at, but Cranfield's gap. They take out Gustine 68 to 22. How about this matchup? Gordon takes out some frustration on Strawn 52 to six. And I got to imagine for uh, coach Reed, that felt really good. And for coach Lee, it didn't feel so good. No. And, and I, I don't know that there's anything you can say about those two win or lose. <laughs> um, you know, we talked about what a big rivalry those two have, like the biggest one in the state. I just have to put that all out there because <laughs> I hear from both sides and it's it's ridiculous. I mean, they take it to a whole other level. This year, it was Gordon's turn. Well, What's they, it going to be next year? <laughs> exactly. Well, we definitely know that Gordon got the better end of it this year. Hey, break up the gorillas. We're talking about uh, Division Two, Region Four, District Thirteen. There, uh, talking about the Lorraine Bulldogs. What about the Trent Gorillas? Three and zero on the season. They take out Harold seventy-eight to thirty-three. Other scores across the state. Naz really struggling to take out Groom seventy-one to fifty-eight. The Tigers now zero and three on the season. It's been a long time since they've been zero and three. They've had a tough schedule though, but. Uh, Nazareth uh, finally put them away late, so Groom may be finally finding a little something there, and uh, I'm sure Coach Pete will have them going. Rising star over Morgan, 48-18. to um, Man, I just like saying this name. Adrian Avera Rico. And he was our well, Texas 1A fan, tougher than tough 
award winner last week. I just want you to know, if I was doing play-by-play in this game, I would not call him Vera Rico. I would just say Rico Suave. That's what I <laughs> well, you know, uh, that brings up a good point because usually when we have a kid and they've got a cool name, we always give them a nickname. It just makes broadcasting a, a little bit easier to listen to sometimes. Well, I can tell you, Adrian Vera Rico can be nothing but Rico Suave. <laughs> 72 yards rushing in this ball game and a touchdown, seven tackles. For Morgan, EJ Ivalis, uh, 86 yards rushing in a touchdown, had 11 tackles as well. Kaysen Sims, 110 yards through the air and a touchdown. Uh, going through the state, looking at a few other scores out there. Uh, Lubbock Kingdom Prep. Hey, this is a really good private school out of Lubbock. They take out Anton 48 to nothing. Uh, impressed by that score there. Gorman continues to roll. They take out Blum 50 to 22. Spur all over Motley County. Coach Bigham's finding it uh, a little tough this year. Corey well, Hamilton. you know, at the beginning of that, the first half of that game, that score was close. The bull, uh, the Bulldogs were actually down to the Matadors for a while. Well, apparently, anytime Coach Clark really needed a touchdown, he just handed the ball to Corey Hamilton. Ten carries, three hundred and forty-six yards. That's a thirty-four point six yards per carry average. I can do the math on that one. Well, six yeah. in this game. Yeah. Wow. It's, yeah, that's a lot. And let me tell you. Just prior to one of those, his nose got hit. You know, I know his mother very well. I've known Corey since <laughs> literal, literally he was born. He got his nose busted open. Well, it just about, made him mad. About, I guess it was, well, but Corey doesn't get mad. <laughs> He's not one of those kids. He's just very even killed, very, you know, chill, whatever. And anyways, he got his nose busted. And it was bleeding out both nostrils and they couldn't get it to stop. So they found some um, help from the cheerleaders. They got some stuff stuffed up in both of those nostrils. He went right back on the field and scored a touchdown. And then for Motley County, Caden Roy is in the loss. Six of 10, 140 yards and three touchdowns. Santa Ana over Nueces Canyon, 68 to 20. Uh, break up the Longhorns from Buena Vista. They keep a winning. Uh, they were actually they pick up their first victory, uh, but they win it over Hermley, 80 to 59. Uh, other scores throughout the state. Let's see if anything else uh, kind of interests me here. I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for us here on week three, Bobby. Any other news or notes that you know of from week three that you want to pass on? Oh, yes. Actually, you know how we talked about how I told. Uh, I told uh, Big O from Garden City that I wanted to be there when he did his next hurdle. Well, Big O couldn't wait for me, and he busted out not only a hurdle, but he juked a kid before he hurdled, hurdled right over that kid. So Big O is back to his old tricks, and he's up for like the best, the top play in the San Angelo area for that juke and hurdle. Another yeah, thing, I, I, I saw know that. it was impressive. It was. He looked like I was like, "Whoa, you go, Big O." <laughs> uh, another thing that I thought was very impressive was I need to give a shout out to the Rankin Band, the Red Devil Band. They were very impressive at halftime at the Rankin uh, Westbrook game. And one thing that we noticed is here we are in week three, and anyone who's ever been in band knows that this is maybe a little bit impressive, but. They did not have any sheet music and they had memorized their halftime music 
and did an excellent job of marching and playing. So shout out to Red Devil Marching Band. You did a great job. And then last but not least, last week, I did something bad. Uh-oh. What did you do? I, I, I forgot to mention your birthday. My birthday? Your birthday. I know. It was It was just my 29th. It's no big deal. 29th. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, only women use that, right? Age is just a number, Craig. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm getting old, though, Bobby. Oh, no. Old is a state of mind. <laughs> you got to think you're younger. But my favorite thing is I received a video or I saw a video online and then I got a copy of it with your help. Thank you, Craig, by the way. You got literally rolled up in a tackle, held down and got an ice bath by some of the happy cowboys. I definitely did. Um, I got rolled up by Trice Johnson. He had 135 tackles last year and he, he's doing well again this year and he can add one to that. Well, he, he did it perfect. That was perfect form. Let it me tell it you. was. I, I couldn't figure out, you know, he's a rodeo kid too. I couldn't figure out if I was an opposing running back or if I was a uh, a, a calf running through there. But either way, he, he <laughs> rolled me up and uh, they very graciously took my phone from me and then absolutely doused me in a bucket full of water. So, And I could see that ice too. It was chunky in there. So I had to be cold. It was plenty cold, but you know, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, Happy has four seniors. Of course, my son, Camden, Kitan Johnson, Trice Johnson, and Jimmy Reyes. Those four have kind of been, I don't know, uh, this, this brick and mortar, I guess you would say for that class when it came to, to football and basketball, they've kind of been that group uh, ever since seventh grade. I've known them since they were way younger than that. And uh, just four really good kids very humble and, and and the thing that i've always loved about them is it's very much we not me um and, and you see that in everything they did and so it i loved it it was great and uh yeah go, go out go out to uh texas uh 1a fan and check out the video and watch me shiver like a dog after i got dumped with the water <laughs> you definitely did if you would have had any fire there would have been water flying everywhere but yes <laughs> It's on our podcast page at 1afan.com. Go go check it out. Um, at the very least, you can see Trice Johnson's form tackle of, <laughs> of Craigsbury. So <laughs> uh, that, that, that was awesome. Well, Bobby, before we get out of football real quick, just looking ahead to next week's schedule, Westbrook at Spur. Uh, that'll be an interesting matchup. Cress, who is uh, better than I think people realize, uh, coming to the Cowboy Corral to take on Happy. As I go through this one, uh, some other games. Miami at Paducah, I think, will be an interesting one. Uh, Paducah always uh, tough at home. Miami really playing well this year, so we'll see how that one goes. Rankin and Knox City, both of those teams coming off losses. That should tell us a lot about both teams, especially how they handle this uh, moving forward. Uh, going through here, Ira at Lorraine. Coach Popham talked about that. Um, the Bulldogs, whew, that that a Bulldog will win this one, one way or the other. But uh, <laughs> No joke. That, that that should be a good game there as well. Valley at Nazareth should be a good one. Uh, we'll see how healthy Valley is. That could play a big role in that ball game. Garden City at May. Talk That's, about a big boy matchup. That's going to be one right there. It Ooh. is. It is. Yeah, Sanderson at Van Horn. I think that'll tell us a lot about Sanderson for those wondering why they're ranked top 10. Uh, I think that will give us a good idea right there. 
here's something interesting. If you want to catch two games in one night, Campbell and Throckmorton will be playing in Gordon Friday night at five. And then Gordon and Waco Live Oak will, will be playing right afterwards. So if you want to catch two games, you can get on over to Gordon on Friday evening. First game at five, next game probably at 7.30. There you go. So there's a good look at uh, what's going on in football. Let's move over to some other sports, and we're going to start in a volleyball where things just always seem to move around. Uh, looking at the rankings here, Verbest up to three from number seven. Benjamin has moved down a spot to number four. Uh, the Mogulets, I'm going to get it right this week. Monday falls to number seven. I have a good memory. Aquila inches up to number eight. Now, how do you inch up from nine to eight? Isn't that a, just a full jump anyway? No, no, that's an inch when you've got <laughs> 20 of them in the list. So, St. <laughs> Joe leapfrogs over Parenwit from a six to five. Round top Carmine falls out of the top 10. They're all the way down to number 17. Netches is up to number nine. McMullen County's falling to number 19. And Utopia comes in at number 10. Lots of movers and shakers and 1A volleyball from week to week. And don't forget, you can find the top 20 on the TGCA website. And uh, we've got a link on the uh, volleyball page there at Texas 1A Fan. You don't want to miss that. And so there's a look at volleyball uh, topped by Fayetteville at number one and Blum at number two. And let's talk about cross country. And uh, you're the runner of the group. So I'm going to let you take that part. (laughs) Oh, you know, I don't run unless I'm being chased by a tiger. Uh, (laughs) There's not many tigers in West Texas. Oh, but cross country, yes, uh, there is not a new poll out. I've been looking. I think they come out every two weeks, if I'm not mistaken. But I thought this was a great time to prepare everyone for district, regional, and state because it's going to be here before we know it. Here we are. We're already on uh, September 11th, and we're going into week four in football and cross countries around the corner. So the district certification deadline is actually one month away it's on October 15th so I know a lot of the districts run at different times just like they do in track but those must be over with and certified by October 15th the regional meets are October uh, the date range that the UIL gives is October 24th and 25th it looks like region one will be at May Simmons Park in Lubbock Texas region two San Angelo State intramural fields in San Angelo, Region 3. Lynn Creek Park in Grand Prairie and Region 4 is at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And then we have State and it's always at the Old Settlers Park in Round Rock, Texas. This year they've mixed up the times a little bit. Usually 1A girls and boys run early in the morning. This time the girls will run at 11:40 a.m. and the boys will run at 12:10 p.m. So make plans accordingly. They won't have to run in the fog now. They, well, I hope not. Not at that time of the day. You never know, though. You never know, because it will be November. Oh, this is true. (laughs) Very, very true. Well, let's finish things up with Lehman's Six Man 101. And, uh, you know, it's funny you bring this up because this is 100 years of football at, at Happy High School. And so I've been going back and and looking through things and putting up some articles. It's been a lot of fun, and it's amazing how things are defined when you look at it back in the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, Uh, because one of the things that the writers always said was they would say the happy 11, 
the uh, the Strawn 11, the Benjamin 11. That's how they referred to the football team. And I think today's story kind of goes right along with that. Yes. Uh, so we all know, we talked about the 45 rule, point rule, and how it came into existence over a period of time. It was not one of the original rules written. The original rule for a quarterback was a clear pass. Now, let me explain what that is. A clear pass must be made in the backfield before the ball can cross the scrimmage line. So I maybe we were talking about NASCAR for a minute, a clear pass. A clear pass. That means, and this was in the six-man magazine um, back in 1953. So at that time, you could not hand off a ball. Hmm. You had to clearly pass it or before the ball could cross the scrimmage line. So uh, I looked in, thank you, Lehman, for, for sending me this lovely magazine. 1953 six-man ma magazine sent out a survey to a selected list of 300 coaches, and they asked them to vote for or against the handoff as a substitute for the clear pass. Now, let me tell you, Craig, the very interesting thing about this article are the comments that they listed um, in response to the survey. And some of the comments from the coaches were followed by the coach's name. And they thought it was very important to list the number of years that person had coached. Well, yeah. I mean, if somebody's going to make a comment and they've only been their first year of coaching, we all know we're just going to blow that up as going, that young whippersnapper doesn't know what he's talking about. That's right. Now, I haven't been able to figure out when that rule specifically changed, but it seems by reading some of these comments that some states were already using the handoff while others were going strictly by the rules and doing the clear pass. But one of my favorite comments comes from a coach in Louisiana. His name was Lewis Hansen. He was from Basile, Louisiana, and he happened to have been coaching seven years by the time we got to 1953. And his comment was, in Louisiana, we have used the handoff for two years and find it very satisfactory. Personally, I would be reluctant to return to the clear pass. Scorers have not been higher and the plays are run more smoothly and with more variety. So it seems like there was an argument against the handoff that it would run the scores up even higher in a six-man game. And so some coaches were against it. Um, some of the comments also, uh, let's see, there was one from a Blackwell coach, H.H. Uh, McBride, and he had been a coach for one year. And he said, I would like to see the handoff used in order to eliminate confusion as to whether some plays are handoffs or clear passes. Interesting. Yes. Well, I, I'm sure just like everything, it doesn't matter whether it's 1953 or 2022, somebody's going to bend the rules just enough <laughs> to their advantage. Now, there is another first-year coach, and he obviously wanted to get his point across because it... Um, this last sentence is all capital letters, but he says the game as it stands is too wide open to allow a handoff would improve the offensive patterns. Now, here's the part that's in all capital letters. 
What is needed is a rule that it would improve the defense. Hmm. So. Interesting. There we go. But I'm going to find out when that turned into a, a, a tried and true rule in the rule book. And I'll get back to you. I haven't been able to find that during my research. I don't know why, uh, but I'll find it and I'll get back to you. Isn't that interesting? That that is very interesting. We we look forward to that. So last week we find out about the uh, forty-five point mercy rule. This week, how we go from the clear pass to a handoff. That's right. That is quite right. quite fascinating. Well, Bobby, it's been another fun week here on the Backroads Podcast. Lots of big games coming up again next week. That's the joy about six-man football across the state. There's always big games going on somewhere. But until then, I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassSports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Remember, go forward and do good. <laughs>